Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. You know, in 2009, James Cameron introduced us to the world of Avatar. If you've not seen these movies, I apologize, but James Cameron introduced us to an entirely new world. I don't know about you, but when I watched that movie for the first time, I wanted to no longer be human and I wanted to be a blue person. (laughs) I don't know if you felt that way. My brother and I walked out and said, man, I want to be one of them blue people with the tail and the whole thing, you know? And it was so fascinating to watch this film come out and the special effects and the CGI and the storyline, just the entire thing was just, it was honestly for us mesmerizing and it just kind of hit us good. But I didn't realize that the film was actually about 10 to 11 years in the making. It had been conceived in the 1990s, but the technology wasn't there yet to actually put it on the screen in such a way, the way that James Cameron wanted it. And it wasn't until 2009 is when it was actually released in the theaters. And if you do your math, it's been approximately 13 years since Avatar 2, which just came out a couple months ago. If you've not seen that, uh, as you can tell, I like Avatar, and Avatar 2 is, is the way of water. And the idea for the story and the script for Avatar 2 was conceived a long time ago, but the technology actually wasn't there yet to depict what it looked like to James, according to James Cameron, the way of water, what an underwater world could look like. So they held onto the script and refined the story, did all the stuff that's required, and when the technology finally caught up, they were able to put together the second part, which was just released in December, and it's trending right now to be, if it's already one of the most biggest selling movies of all time. But what I love about this analogy is that it takes stories and narratives and scripts and take time. They take time to create. And with studio, we're always talking about stories, we're already talking about future, we're talking about creating the future. And, and one of the things that I think we sometimes forget is sometimes it takes time. It takes time to create the future that you feel deep inside you. It, And what comes with this idea of creating the future, I believe that if God makes every decision for you, then you'll barely have anything to give an account for at the end of your life. Obedience is a great thing to give an account for, but if that's it, I think you've missed your potential. I think you've missed what's possible. So understand that when we talk about creating the future, this isn't some anti god not in control. This is actually running with the very thing that God has created. He said, create, create the future. So when we talk about creating the future here, or at least when it comes out of my mouth, when it comes off this stage, we have to understand what we're also saying is you get to write a story. You get to determine a story, a narrative that comes from you And the more that you do this with people around you, you get to write a collective story. And I believe what we're doing here, um, I'm not going to tell you what the text said, but one of our people is visiting another place in another part of the country and was texting me this morning and just made this really nice text and said, thank you so much for your perspective on culture. 
and that we're about redeeming culture and not attacking it and bashing it. And that this person this morning would, would end listening to someone just go after it from an external perspective. And I, if you've been here for any length of time, we're, we're talking about getting within the culture and being leavened within the culture and actually looking to elevate humanity, not diminish humanity. So this whole idea of creating the future, it coincides, it, it gives the permission, you can write the story. And usually I found that there's, there's two ways to go about creating the future. One is with no intention and the other is with intention. You can almost put people into those two categories. You're either creating your future with no intention or you're creating it with intention. You know, what does it sound like when someone's creating a future with no intention? This is what it sounds like. What's the point? I'm not excited about life. And on some of us are in that spot. I can understand because you've had so much loss. You've had so much tragedy. You've had enough life experiences that now you're protecting yourself from experiencing an emotion of defeat again. But if you were here last week and if you weren't, I encourage you to listen to the talk that we talked about. It's time to cast your nets again. This is where human reasoning ends and the reasoning of God enters into the conversation as we cast the net back into the same reality that we experience loss, defeat, and tragedy and despair. So recognizing that people that create a future of no intention, you actually are still creating the future. It just has no intention. It's almost aimless. And in some cases, in extreme cases, it's pointless. So I want to challenge you. One of the most tragic things I run into as a pastor is when I run into somebody that believe that their life does not affect other people. It's shocking how many people literally are walking this earth thinking my life affects nothing and no one. In fact, sometimes that person in that posture is actually affecting others and the future more than people that are trying to. So this lie that is in our head and in our heart that said, if I do nothing, I, I don't matter to anyone or nothing I do matters to anybody or affects anybody, that is one big lie because it's just not true. You take up space in the entire realm of existence and that space is committed to you to do something about it. Then there's the other kind of person that create the future with intention. Actually, you're looking at the future saying, what kind of story do I want to write with my life? What kind of story do I want to write for a generation that I'll never see, that I'll never meet? See, that's the kind of people I want us to be here. We're creating the future with intention. We're actually dreaming about what it could look like. They've actually done lots of studies, and I don't have the data right in front of me, but I'm sure many of you have run into this in the course of your readings and different things. But when you can visualize something, you're better actually implementing it. They actually did this study years ago where they're basketball players. They took five, 15 basketball players. They took groups of three groups of five. And one group of five, they practiced basketball 100% of the time. They were on the court doing drills, doing shots, doing all kinds of plays and runs and moves and screens and doing all the pick and rolls. And they were playing the game of basketball. Then there was another group 
The second group, they spent 50% of their time playing basketball and then 50% of their time visualizing playing basketball. And then the third group spent nearly no time playing basketball and spent their entire time visualizing playing basketball. And what was staggering, there wasn't much of a difference. In fact, the people that visualized it in some cases performed better. So what am I proposing to you? That you can actually create a future that you dream about. Within you are all the ingredients. Your existence takes up space. So the question, what kind of future are you creating? Are you doing it with intention? Or are you doing it with no intention? You see, people that live with intention, they're motivated by curiosity, compassion, empathy, sympathy. They're motivated by this idea that we are moving towards a wedding, not a divorce. They carry the essence of the kingdom and its desire to see all of humanity experience redemption, restoration, and healing. So you're either creating a future with intention or you're creating a future without intention. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture. You can write it down for your notes. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. It's actually one of our verses here that built into our values here at studio, and it reads this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The part I want you to make a note of is from every nation, from every tribe, and every people, and every language. Today, I want us to focus in and continue moving forward the conversation of being a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational community. Let me say this again. Right now, I want us as a community to make an a commitment more so around this idea of being a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational community. To make a decision to create this reality, we have to understand it takes time. It takes time, it requires you to cultivate the ability to see the long game. Some of us are only focused on the short game and what's happening right now, and, but the long game is required. If you want to build a future with intention, you have to have a vision for the long game. What's fascinating about the long game is sometimes you make advancement and then you make three steps back. But then you make an advancement over the course of time, you see progress, you see advancement. And one of the challenges we have is when you have short vision or short-sighted or, or short idea, all of a sudden, you forget to realize that we're actually a progress in motion. And today I want to draw our attention to our role as studio, our dream, and our, our idea is to become a bridge to humanity. You've heard the joke, when you become a bridge, you get walked on a lot. And guess what? That's us. So if you don't like getting walked on, then I don't know what to tell you. But we are preparing us to get walked on a lot. I don't want to be a house. I don't want to be a community that 
looks for chasms between us and humanity. I don't want to be a community that creates chasms. Some people wake up thinking, how do I create space between me and everybody else? That's not us. We're, we're not on that train. We're not on that bus. We didn't sign up for that plan. Our plan is to become a bridge to humanity. And if you get walked on, guess what? Jesus got walked on a lot. So much so it cost him his life. So this idea of being a bridge to humanity is built within the DNA of this house and this community and this church. And we also have to know there are forces at play. We, we, are not, we can't be naive that everything just is great. No, there's a lot going on. And, you know, the political spirit is something that has to be addressed over and over. The political spirit's goal is to, be, is to win. The religious spirit is motivated by being right. And there are forces at play. And the challenge that we live in today is politics has become the new religion of culture. It's become the new thing that we worship. We hold everything in our life to that standard of politics. The aisle has become more important than anything else. What side of the aisle are you on? The aisle had become the definer of our faith. Your faith is defined now by what side of the aisle you're on. This is dangerous territory, church. This isn't to diminish politics. Politics is a part of being a human on earth. So I'm not saying there's no point, there's no reality, there's, we shouldn't be involved. We should totally be involved. But when it becomes a religion of culture, when it becomes a standard which you hold other people to, you're missing the point. When you look at someone and filter them through a political lens and say that side of the aisle and you define their existence, their faith, their identity because of the aisle, we, have, we are choosing to live an inferior life. We're choosing to not live by the kingdom, but live by a system that the world has created. Now, we should vote. We should be involved. I'm not even diminishing the action. And as human, we should be involved. There's no question. But when you start looking humanity only through that land, this dangerous territory. So this is something we have to be aware of in this conversation of creating the future. I want to invite each of you today to join us in writing a new narrative around what it means to be a multi-ethnic, a multicultural, and multi-generational community. New narratives take time to write. They, they take commitment. It takes the ability to expand your views. You know, it's a beautiful moment when, when someone moves from living with no intention to living with intention. It's really powerful when someone goes from, I don't know what I don't know, to I now know what I don't know. I mean, it is one of the most profound moments in all of our lives that when we step into this space where I don't know what I don't know, and something happens, and all of a sudden we become keenly aware I know what I don't know now. There's actually a slide I want to put on the screen, and this is the diagram. This is, some of you may have seen this. You can read it clockwise. 
And there's actually a term for these four phrase, these four boxes. And these are four postures, four spaces that you're in. And the term is called metacognition. I'm going to define that. It refers to the ability to assess your knowledge on a topic and understand exactly what you know and what you don't understand. Now, I want you to mainly focus on A and C. The other two are a little bit more nuanced, and I don't want to go into this too deeply, but the space between A and C is a really important movement. Now, for example, let's just say I had no idea hip-hop dancing existed. And I didn't even know the thing. I, I, I was completely just sheltered, and I had no idea that hip-hop dancing was actually something that people would actually something. Let's just say. So I'm in A. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know it exists. But let's say Adam comes along and he introduces me to this concept of hip-hop dancing. Now, all of a sudden, I'm confronted with something new that I've never heard. I don't even know what it is. All of a sudden, I'm now aware of I know something that I don't know nothing about. Now, right there, in that moment, I can decide to choose to keep moving along or I can stay in C and just stay in, I don't know, I know what I don't know, and I'm going to leave it there. But if I allow Adam to move me, I will now move into D. I will now move into a space where I'm familiar with the concept. My body may not like the movement, especially in the beginning. I won't be able to move the way I think I should be able to move. It's amazing how good of a dancer I am on the inside. It's amazing how good we all sing when no one's around. But there's something happened when you're confronted with, I actually don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm aware of it now. I actually realize like, oh, I don't even know what's going on here. But two seconds ago, I had no idea this existed. So it's a beautiful moment from A to C, but I've learned. Not everyone wants to continue moving. We want to just stay, I'm good. And we want to stay in this spot of, I'm good with just being unfamiliar with something. You see, to move into a progressive movement of life into category D, you have to make a decision to be able to talk and interact with concepts that violate your construct. To hear information that doesn't resonate with you. This is what it sounds like when you're about to move from C to D. This is what it sounds like. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And here we are moving forward in this conversation of multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational. This is something we've written and concreted, and the concrete is now dry that we are moving forward in this. But the challenge is you have to make a decision between C and D. You have to be willing, the constructs, the beliefs, the ideas, the picture, the images that you've adhered to your entire life, you have to be willing to let those be confronted. You have to be willing to let someone else's story make you question your view on something. And we live in a day where we're told to hunker down, lock down, shrink your worldview to this. And this is why I made mention of the aisle, because we've let the aisle reduce our views down to a politic. 
And I don't know about you, I don't want to represent that. I don't want that to be my identity. I want that to be an expression of my life, but I don't want that to be my identity. I want to represent the kingdom. I want to represent the third way. I want to represent another way, the way that Jesus seemed to demonstrate. You can, you can take this slide down. Thank you. So I've learned there's still a choice, but I also recognize that I have to let it violate my own construct, my own ideas. And there's a tension between holding your ideals and your constructs and getting in proximity to someone that has a different story than you. In 2015, my wife and I found ourselves in a beautiful home in, on the central coast of California. It's literally the most beautiful home I have ever been to. And Brad Pitt just bought it recently. So just to give you some context, it is, I'm sad because now I don't know Brad, so I can't stay there anymore. <laughs> Maybe this is just, you know, a heads up, I'll get to know the guy. I don't know. I might DM him, hey, um, I used to stay at that house every year. Can I still stay there? <laughs> so Kenneth and I found ourselves in this beautiful home and about 12 different leaders from different, different parts of society. We had a, a very wealthy banker. There were two hip-hop artists. And there was a mag, two magazine founders and entrepreneurs that founded two different companies, specifically around women and just the beauty of not photoshopping women and not sexualizing and making them object, but just women be beautiful because they're women. It's a, it's a beautiful magazine, good friends of ours. And then the husband created this magazine for men. This whole idea of like, what is masculinity and what does that look like? And so they were there. And then we had our friend that invited us who organized this whole gathering. He runs a beautiful organization called Q Ideas and they do an amazing job of gathering people to create these meaningful conversations around complex topics. They're based out of Nashville. And then there's some other, and then Candace and I were there. And, and we just spent two days with strangers. I knew the guy organizing it, and that was it. So I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't always do well in, in those kind of environments. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? I, I don't know why I'm here. You know, I just, the social anxiety hits me, especially if I don't know anybody. So I just kind of cling to my wife. That's what I do. <laughs> I just follow her around and she breaks the ice and then I find my way in. That, that's literally our marriage right there. So if you see me following my wife, that's why, all right? I'm being vulnerable with you. I'm like, where's my wife? I'm gonna go stand by her now. That's just how I roll. So the last evening before we were gonna leave the next morning, the last evening, um, this was in 2015, I believe the month before, a couple months before, the Baltimore riots were take, had taken place. And there's still some residual effects of what was happening because of a police brutality and the whole conversation. So these riots were erupting and there was a series of stuff going on that year. But I remember Baltimore was the latest one and I believe it was the month before if I have my timeline correct. And so we were there and there were two hip hop artists, Propaganda and Trip Lee were there. I had never met them. This was the first time we've met them. And we were there, and they, they began to, the guy organizing and said, hey, would you guys help us to understand what's going on here? And I can't tell you the whole conversation because it will take up this whole time, but propaganda, he shared this one word, this one phrase that hit me. He began to describe this thing called long memory. 
And he began to describe, at the black community, we have something that he calls long memory. And the memory of impact on our generations go back hundreds of years. And so this memory is with all of us, not just with the person that it happened to. And he began to describe a, a, a dynamic that I had never, I was just unaware of. He said, like, we came here and, and Propaganda and Tripoli, they were the only two black men, black people in this group of 12. So everyone else was white and there's one Latino. And he said, the, and they, they didn't know each other at the time. He said, when they walked into the, this house and we're all just kind of starting out the gathering, he said, we looked at each other and we nodded like, okay, we got each other. He said, white people don't do that. We don't go, oh yeah, we, we got each other. Why? Because we don't share a history that they call a long memory. They had a different experience. And he went on and on and helped us to understand on a very introductory level of the plight of black communities, specifically in America. And I remember sitting there, we were just deeply rocked. And lots of emotions. I mean, guilt, shame, embarrassment. Why haven't I done anything about this? I should do something about this. Feeling paralyzed. Paralysis definitely came over me. Really quiet that night and I mean, what do you say? It's just hard stuff to hear and you don't understand it. I, I was in the A box and the C box, I had just entered into the box C. I now know what I don't know. And I remember coming home from that trip, we went back, we were at Bethel at the time and I went back and we had one gal that we had been working with at the time and, and she had been encouraging us to, be, to increase our awareness on black history and the plight of black community and just said, you guys need to be leaning into this thing. And, you know, you, you, yeah, sure, you know, I mean, I'm inspired by it, but not to the degree that she was encouraging us. So I called her up and I said, hey, I just had this experience and I'm wondering if you would meet with me. This was in 2015, I think it was June, like the next few weeks. And she came into my office and I said, I'm really nervous right now. I'm not nervous because of her, I'm just nervous because I don't know what to say and I'm really scared of saying the wrong thing. And I looked her in the eyes and I said, I am so afraid to ask questions because I don't want to appear as racist. So I don't ask anything. I just avoid it. I stay in the A box. I don't know, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not, I'm just, that's just a safe space to be. It's easy there. But I had been introduced to box C. I'm now becoming aware of the whole world I am so unaware of. And so I asked her that, I said, I'm so scared to ask any questions because I'm afraid I'm gonna, I'm gonna be perceived as racist. And she looked me in the eye and said, Eric, you're not racist. You might be naive and ignorant. And I said, I can live with that. I, that, that feels way more like there's a pathway. I, I can move from that space. So since 2015, for Candice and I, and Tanasha was around, and Reva and others, and this community that, that we are here together, we, we started this journey in 2015, me started in 2015, of trying to understand what I don't know, what I don't understand. And let me be honest with you, did it violate my own constructs? 100%. Did it go against what I thought? Did it go against principle? Did it go against, yes, all of the above. But I knew that my stance wasn't helping move humanity forward. It was helping strengthen my own posture alone. 
So this idea of moving this conversation forward is deeply important to us. I understand some of you have a lot of questions right now. What about this? And I, I know there's a, those never end, by the way, I've learned. <laughs> they just get bigger. But we have to do our part in writing and creating a future that has a new narrative on this conversation. You can either spectate and observe, or you can get a pen out and start writing. What does it look like to see redemption take place? What does it look like to see restoration take place? What does it look like to see reconciliation and healing take place in a generation? What does it look like to begin to move in that direction? And I've noticed if you don't have a pen in your hand and you're not writing that future, you're doing it with no intention. My goal today is is simply to inspire, motivate, nudge us forward. Because this is what's resting on this house. I want to read you something I wrote specifically around Black History Month. I want to tell you what it means to me. Black History Month to me is about acknowledging the history of the black community and being in proximity to their lives and stories. Whether it be visiting the King Center in Atlanta, the Legacy Museum and Lynching Memorial in Montgomery, or the Slave Mart in Charleston, as well as being part of conversations which have a goal of seeing redemption, restoration, and healing take place in humanity, to watching documentaries and movies that are being highlighted this month on various streaming platforms. This month is also about celebrating the achievements and the accomplishments of the black community and how much of the American culture and honestly global culture and advancement has happened because of the black community. My encouragement to each of us is to take this month and learn more about a history that reveals the darkness of humanity as well as reveal the beauty of a people who are resilient, creative, brilliant, and have helped and are making the world a better place. That's what Black History Month is to me. And I want to invite each and every one of you, if you find yourself in box A, and you've had moments where box C is talking to you, say yes to box C. Let us move forward, and our goal and our heart is to create this culture here, and that studio will be home for humanity. Why don't you stand? And what I find incredibly fascinating We are in the state of South Carolina. We are in a place that has contributed to this history in ways we wouldn't even want to hear about. I can't help but think about the opportunity of redemption and restoration that is at hand if we make the decision to move forward. If you ask, is it easy? Is it not messy? Is it awkward? It's all of that but it's also incredibly beautiful. Could you begin to feel the hand of Jesus on this? 
you begin to see him erasing line between humanity, and all of a sudden we can be moved towards Revelation 7, 9. All tribes, all tongues, all peoples, all languages are worshiping God. Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.